on this crazy awesome episode of Drive with Woody Fit. I talk about how scientists find lakes on Mars and how a third type of carcinogen was found in blood pressure medication. That's not good. And how you want to start small with your lifestyle changes and grow it from there. Um, Small changes add up over time. I talk a little bit about that. I teach also talk about how I'm teaching my daughter how to categorize food into healthy and unhealthy. And I think this is going to be a good trick, and I think it's going to pay off in the future. Um, I also talk about why. I don't know why this video is going around, but people are starting deadlifts from the top position. They're starting their deadlifts. They're walking it out from a rack, doing deadlifts, and walking it back in. That's a terrible way to do deadlifts. And I talk about why it is in this episode. I also talk about why you don't want to be like me and just train in hypertrophy to try to grow the muscle and how that's going to hold you back from making real progress. And then I answer a question for my wife. Uh, I'm pregnant with baby number three, postpartum. Where do I go from here, jumping back into fitness and working to lose the baby weight? Um, Of course, I'm no expert, and ultimately you want to listen to your doctor, but I've seen her go through this twice, and we're about to go through it a third time, so I give my input a little bit on what to do uh, postpartum. So if you like the show and you um, appreciate what I'm doing, uh, share the show with a friend or a family member, and also check out the free guides that we have over at Executive Fit, or that I have over at executivefitllc.com forward slash guides. And without further ado, let's get into this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. In a world full of waste trainers, fad diets, and bro science, three friends come together to drive against the myths with facts, studies, and experiences. Welcome to Drive with Woody Fit with your hosts, Nate Woods, Megan Woods, and Michael Stewart. So this past weekend, I built a deadlift platform in my garage gym, and I did a little bit of research into how to do it, what materials to use, and back in high school, I had built a half pipe um, in my uh, grandfather's backyard. So, I mean, I'm not, a, by all means, I am not a carpenter and I'm not a woodworker, but I know my way around using a drill and power tools and drilling pilot holes and running screws into wood. So I kind of figured like, you know, instead of buying a deadlift platform, which can go upwards of a thousand dollars easily, I'm just going to make one. So I found some tutorials on uh, YouTube, which YouTube is absolutely wonderful for that. And just kind of watched and see how, you know, they, they did it. And it's very, very simple. You literally get two three-quarter inch uh, sheets of plywood and you stack them on top of each other. And you're supposed to glue them together, but I didn't glue them together. I just ran some screws into them to keep them together. Uh, Then you get a four-by-four sheet of plywood, put that in the center of those two pieces of plywood. Then you put a two-foot-by-four-foot piece of stall mat which you can find at tractor supply on either side of that four by four sheet of plywood and you have your deadlift platform it literally took me it took me all of four hours because i bullshitted at lowe's because i met my neighbor there 
and ran into my neighbor at Lowe's and we talked for like 40 minutes. So it literally does not take all that long to make your own deadlift platform. And the main reason that I did it is because I had some space in the garage that was just being taken up. So I was like, I'm getting rid of this machine and went and built a, built a deadlift platform. Uh, just kind of because I wanted a specific place to do deadlifts. Not really for any reason other than like I wanted it. Um, you know, it's not like I was, I got stall mat in the entire garage floor. So it's not like I'm hurting the the concrete at all by deadlifting. I also use bumper plates when I deadlift. So, you know, there's not really any damage that's going on. It's just kind of keep it a little bit quieter so that the kiddos and the wife in the house can't really, I don't really disturb them. But, um, yeah, it wasn't very expensive whatsoever. So, uh, definitely something, something worth looking into if uh, you maybe live in an apartment or, you know, you have nice floor where you have your garage gym or your home gym and you don't want to ruin the floor. Uh, making a deadlift platform is definitely, uh, you know, worth the investment in my, my opinion. I had less than, if I had bought the stall mat, because I had a bunch of stall mat already, if I had bought the stall mat, it would have been like $330. So it's really not expensive whatsoever. Um, I also had all the screws and everything lying around home. So we'll just say 350 for everything that you would need. And that's also including a gallon of polyurethane clear to put over the center of the platform to protect the wood. So, you know, you can really go all out and not spend more than 350 bucks, five, 400 bucks to build a deadlift platform. So I actually just today put the Punisher skull on the center of it. <clears throat> now my next next step is to uh, put the polyurethane clear over it to protect the wood. But uh, you can check that out if you follow me on Instagram. My personal page, which is uh, woodyfit underscore 13, I believe. Or it's woody underscore fit 13. Search one of those and you'll find it and you'll be able to see it. It's pretty dope. But anyway, to kick this episode off, let's talk about space. Uh, so I'm a space nerd. So um, I, I found this article on Flipboard <clears throat> about uh, scientists see evidence of underground lake system on Mars, which is pretty crazy. Um, and I, don't, I mean, I don't really uh, bite into the the conspiracy, I guess we could call it, that Mars used to be green like earth i mean that would would have been billions of years ago but uh you know they say that they took images um by european and american space probes to show there likely was once a planet-wide system of underground lakes uh, on mars which is pretty crazy and i know i'm pretty sure we found bacteria on mars i'm not 100 percent sure on that but either way um that that was pretty interesting to me and uh i don't know the whole concept of um us being alone in the universe is a little bit hard for me to accept because there's so much unexplored area out there i mean closest star is like what five million light years away and you know how fast light travels you turn the lights on in your home and it's instantly bright so you know imagine that speed for a year how far that distance is and then multiply that by 5 million. It's just, it's incomprehensible to our minds how far away, you know, the, and that's the nearest star. The nearest star may not even have an orbiting planet around it that could 
um, you know, contain life. So, um, you know, it's a little bit difficult for me to accept the fact that, you know, we are alone in this universe and, you know, we are the only living creatures, whether, you know, uh, smart or just like bacteria, you know, we're, it's very hard for me to accept that, um, as fact, especially because we don't know. So we can't say for sure, you know, whether, whether we are or not. Um, but, uh, you know, as I was flipping through Flipboard, I came across another article about a, a third type of carcinogen that was found in blood pressure medication. And as soon as I found this, I read it and I shot it over to one of my clients because he, uh, was on blood pressure medication when he started training with me and he still is, but it's a little bit definitely, it's a lot lower dose now. And I was like, Oh dude, is, is, uh, is yours on that list? Is your medication on that list? And it was, but his doctor had already switched him. So it was close, but it it just kind of goes to show that, you know, so, uh, anyway, the company is called Camber Pharmaceuticals and, uh, one of their 90 lots of Losartan potassium tablets that were made by Hetero Labs in India and distributed by Camber Pharmaceuticals were recalled on Tuesday due to the discovery of trace amounts of N-nitroso N-methyl-4-amino-butyric acid, or NMBA, which is a probable carcinogen. Now, I don't know anything about NMBA. I don't know what it does. I, you know, I don't know the interactions in the body, but it is classified as a possible carcinogen. Now, if it's classified as a possible carcinogen, then I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust that word. And it's it's pretty crazy that certain things can make their way into um, pharmaceuticals and kind of slip under the radar like that. You know, and imagine how many people could have been taking this, um, taking this blood pressure medication, you know, unknowingly, right? And, like, you know, you're supposed to trust your doctors. Like, we're supposed to trust their doctors. And doctors are prescribing pharmaceuticals and, you know, they're just chemicals put together in a pill made in a lab. It just doesn't sit well with me. So I think there's, you know, better ways to decrease your uh, high blood pressure, Uh, one of them being exercise and eating a well-balanced diet, number two. So, I mean... At a certain point, medical intervention and pharmaceutical intervention is necessary. You know, there's a there's kind of a point of no return where you are just so out of whack that you need uh, pharmaceuticals or you need medical intervention. But if you can catch this stuff early, then change your lifestyle around just a little bit. Just a little bit tweak in lifestyle can go a long way, especially a small tweak that you make and stay consistent with can make a massive change long term you know so um it's it's a very it's it's easy but it's not easy for a lot of people to do because you know when you make a lifestyle change you have to absolutely try not to make it a 180 degree turn try to make it like a five or six degree turn so it doesn't have a massive impact on your life and then once you've made that small change consistent and you you know it's become part of who you are then you look at another area of your life and make a small change there and then only stick with those two things until both of those two things have become a habit and become part of your life and over time all of these little changes will add up to big things so you know if you're in a situation where 
maybe you're you're pre-hypertension you know you're you're almost at that point of of high blood pressure or you like you know you've been making bad choices and you know it's time for a change and you're just you just got to do it well start small start slow and stick with one thing right so let's say you eat i don't know let's say you have a soda addiction you drink way too much soda uh, and you know you do, but it's just a thing you do, right? You drink too much soda and you don't eat right. You don't eat enough vegetables. Well, instead of instead of uh, cutting out the soda right away, how about we just add vegetables, right? Let's add vegetables for a while and continue to stick with adding vegetables. Like, you know, let's say you eat no vegetables at all. Let's have one meal per day where you eat vegetables. And then from there, we're going to stick with that. We're going to keep you know, one meal a day with vegetables, and that's what we're going to do for, you know, if it takes two months for you to get that down as a habit, so be it. Two months, um, you know, one, one meal a day with vegetables, that becomes a habit. Let's either, let's add another meal or let's look at a different area, right? So let's say, all right, so you've got one meal with vegetables a day, let's add two, you get that down. All right, so you've got two meals a day that you're eating vegetables at. Now... Let's take a look at the soda. Let's try to cut that cut down on the soda. And this whole process may take six, seven, eight, nine months, but because you're doing it so slow and you're focusing on one thing at a time and you're not trying to cut out soda completely, you're not trying to eat vegetables at every single meal right off the bat, it's a little bit easier to manage because, you know, as humans we don't we don't wanna change. We wanna we wanna stick with things that are Uh, comfortable and we want to stick with things that we know so when it comes to change it can be really hard for some people so make small changes and those small changes eventually will increase over time Um, and you know I'm a parent so coming from a parent um, I try to implement something kind of like this with my kids and one of the things that I've been doing with my daughter is talking about um you know, it's it's easy for them to categorize foods. So what I've been doing is categorizing foods into two separate categories. Foods that make you big and strong and foods that don't make you big and strong. And this is very easy for my daughter to understand because we categorize all of the healthy foods, fruits, vegetables, meats, rice, you know. Uh, we categorize, I, I, I work with her and it, basically all it is is me talking to her and telling her, when we eat a new food, hey, you know, this food makes you big and strong. And and then it starts to sink in and she'll be like, yeah, and apples make you big and strong and grapes make you big and strong and strawberries make you big and strong. And she'll just ramble off a list of foods that she knows that make you big and strong. And then sometimes she'll say a food that, you know, should be, that's unhealthy and should be in another category. And I'm like, no, no, that food doesn't make you big and strong. That food does not make you big and strong. So, um, you know, if you have kids, I know a lot of people who listen to this have kids, categorize or young kids, categorize your foods into those two categories. It's very easy for them to understand. And of course, as they grow up, they'll learn that, you know, strawberries alone are not going to make them big and strong, but they're healthy. They're a healthier choice. And at that point, when they can start to understand a little bit more, you can start to explain a little bit better, you know, this this food is healthy for you in this way and this is why you should eat it yada 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 um but that's what i've been doing with my daughter and it seems to be working very very well um you know she's she's identifying what foods 
make you big and strong and she's identifying what foods don't make you big and strong and you know I was hoping that this would make her want to choose foods that make you big and strong but I think but it hasn't and of course that's just children they want you know they want the sweets they want the candy they want the junk food so I think and reflecting on this a little bit I think I need to emphasize a little bit more when she's eating a food that doesn't make her big and strong. I think I need to make a bigger point of saying, you know that food doesn't make you big and strong, right? Or like, does that food make you big and asking her directly, hey, does that food make you big and strong? And if she says yes, then we have the conversation of no, it doesn't. If she says no, then it's great, good job. You know it's you know it's not great for you. So I've I've discovered that Basically, that categorizing foods like that for young kids makes it a little bit easier for them to understand this is a healthy food and this is not a healthy food because they don't understand what the word healthy means. So to them, healthy could mean taste good. So if we say, um, you know, it makes you big and strong, what comes along with being big and strong, being healthy? What comes along with not being big and strong, not being healthy? So it's a actual image that they can put in their head and compare that image to when they see a when they watch a movie with a superhero in it you know that superhero is big and strong like I want to be like Mr. Incredible so I'm gonna eat my broccoli so I can be big and strong you know what I'm saying so take that into consideration if you have young kids or if you're around young kids um, and maybe start to implement something like that I'll keep you guys uh, up to date on how that's working with with my uh, three going to be four-year-old soon. Dude, I can't even believe she's going to be four. This is crazy. I can't believe she's going to be four. Wow. All right, so um, there seems to be a video videos going around of people starting their deadlifts from a, from the standing position. Um, now, so, so what they'll do is have the bar on a rack. They'll pick up the rack. They'll pick up the bar, walk it out, do their deadlifts, and walk it back in. Now, I have, I have a qualm with this because, um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, you know, and, and anyway, there, before I go into it, there's been some banter back and forth about whether it's okay to do it this way, whether it's not okay to do it this way. And, you know, I personally, I think you are doing yourself a disservice if you are doing your deadlifts this way. Um, are you putting yourself at risk for injury? Yes, but only from walking it out and walking it in. Um, are you putting yourself at risk from at risk for injury doing the reps this way? No, but um, here's why I have an issue with this. Number one, it's not functional whatsoever. Um, you know, the deadlift to me is one of the most functional exercises because whenever we drop something or we pick something up off the floor, we don't bend down with the box, touch the box to the floor, and then stand up with the box. We bend down to pick up the box. So if you look at a regular deadlift, you bend down, you grab the bar, you pick up the bar, then you put the bar down. And that movement of bending down with no weight and picking the weight up off the floor carries over into into your regular life. You know, when you drop something and you have to pick it up, okay, you have to bend down to pick it up. Um, when you're collecting sticks outside to make a fire, right? And this is going back to, um, you know, ancestral times. You're collecting sticks, you're bending down, you pick up the stick or you pick up the log and you stand up with it. So 
for you to go and do deadlifts from the standing position, starting at the top, holding the weight, and touching the floor and coming back up, you know, it's totally not functional at all. And are there exercises that, that I do and that I have clients do and that we all do in the gym that are not functional? Yeah, because what we're trying to do in the gym is sometimes um, not functional. We're, you know, Maybe you want to build bigger shoulders, but there's no real reason in daily life for you to have bigger shoulders. You just want to have bolder shoulders, right? Or you're trying to build a big chest or you're trying to build a big back or you're trying to build big legs. Whatever it is, you're trying to lean out to a certain extent and you use... Uh, certain exercises to target muscles in a certain area and that movement may not necessarily be functional. That's fine. That is all fine and dandy. And I recognize that I just argued against myself. But on the same token, it's completely not functional. And if you look at any competition deadlift, an Olympic power, any Olympic lift where the weight is starting on the floor, Olympic lifts, powerlifting, you know, if you look at any lifts, any competition deadlift, the weight starts on the floor. It doesn't start in a rack. Now it comes to the point of putting yourself at risk for injury because you are trying to walk the weight out. Um, it's just not smart. You know, in one video I saw a dude deadlift 500 pounds. I think he only did one or two reps, but he picks up the 500 pounds off the rack, walks it out, touches it to the ground, and then walks it back in. Now, number one, not only are you exerting energy to walk the, the bar out and walk it back in, so you're kind of wasting your energy and wasting your strength doing that, which is going to limit how much you can actually deadlift. But, you know, walking backwards while holding a bar that weighs a very significant amount of weight is not exactly the best idea in terms of safety. Now, at a certain point, you'll have good neuromuscular control over your body, and you'll be able to walk weight out. And I've walked up to maybe 275 out of a rack and walk that back in, but it's not really comfortable. So, um, and personally, I try to limit how much walking out I do. Um, generally, I don't do much over 225. If I'm picking it up off a rack, like if I'm doing bent over rows, um, I'll pick it up off a rack to do it. But you know, if I'm doing any, any like really heavy rows, then generally I just leave it on the floor because, you know, if you can't deadlift it and stabilize your spine in that position uh, to get it off the floor, then you shouldn't be trying to row it. But, you know, uh, hurting yourself in training is stupid, okay? Especially if you don't compete. And even if you compete, hurting yourself in training is stupid because training is supposed to be training. You're supposed to be training for an event, right? And if you're not training, if you're not competing, you should be training for life. So to do dumb shit in the gym, to hurt yourself, you're just a moron, right? Like don't, there's no reason, there's no reason to way overexert yourself in a gym. If you compete, that's a different story. And if you exert yourself at a competition, whatever you may be competing in, then that's the place to overexert and hurt yourself. Um, but either way, safety should be number one. And walking out with a shit ton of weight is not is not safe. And that's why you shouldn't do it. Now, number three, the re the qualm that I have, number the three, the third reason that I have 
with walking your deadlifts out from a rack that I don't like is because you can kind of use your muscles. You kind of get a rubber band effect from your muscles. Now, don't take this the wrong way and think that I think that muscles work like rubber bands because they don't. You know, when you stretch your muscle, it's not going to snap back to its relaxed position. Um, But when you put muscles under a load, you can kind of get a rubber band effect from it. So imagine somebody bouncing a barbell off of their chest during the bench press. The chest and the shoulders are stretched, in essence, at the bottom. So by allowing the weight to bounce, you can kind of use that stretch and get some momentum out of it and help you push the bar upwards. Now, the same concept does apply uh, with the deadlifts a little bit, especially if you bounce the deadlifts off the floor. Um, you know, it's called a touch and go where you just lower the bar, the weights touch, and as soon as they touch, you go back up. You can kind of get a little bit of a rubber band effect from this. Um, and this is why, uh, you know, there's, there's a very specific time that I would or recommend clients to use this method of training by bouncing the weight. Um, and it's not, it shouldn't be done every time and it shouldn't even be done frequently, in my opinion. Um, you know, dead stop is the, is definitely, uh, the better way to train and a little bit of a safer way to train. Um, you know, because bouncing the weight is kind of showing that you don't have full control over the weight, especially if you're doing it with a really heavy weight. Now, yes, I could put 135 on the bar and deadlift that and bounce that off the floor And, you know, obviously I can deadlift 135, but am I going to deadlift 405 that same way if I'm doing more than one rep? Of course not. So if I'm not going to do 405 that way, why should I do it with 135 that way? So, uh, you know, in essence, you can kind of get a little bit of momentum out of your muscles, this kind of rubber band effect that happens when you bounce with the weight off the floor or you start from the top. So, um, you know, don't, don't do that. Definitely don't do that. And, um, you know, I want to talk about another, uh, thing that you shouldn't do, which is just training in one zone. Now, this is something that I had learned when I first started training and was studying to become a personal trainer is the three areas of training, right? So we have strength, we have hypertrophy, and we have muscular endurance, the strength strength training is being able to get as strong as you can without regard to muscular size or muscular endurance, right? Hypertrophy is g- getting the muscle to grow, okay? So um, we have hypertrophy and we also have hyperplasia. Hypertrophy is when the muscle cells uh, get larger, right? Hyperplasia is when you grow more muscle cells. Now, um, We're not going to talk too much about hyperplasia in this episode, but we are going to talk about hypertrophy. And then we have muscular endurance. Now, muscular endurance is the ability for your muscles to work for an extended period of time under a certain load. So the way that you would improve your muscular endurance is by doing squats for 12 to 15 to 20 reps. This is going to make you good at squatting for a long period of time under a certain weight. Now, um... When I first started, I was like, well, my goal is hypertrophy. So I'm going to do all of the things I need to do to achieve hypertrophy. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to spend time in the muscular endurance phase. And I'm not going to spend time in the strength phase. Because 
I don't really care about getting stronger, and I don't really care about making my muscles go for a longer period of time. I just want to build the muscle and get them bigger. And I thought that if I just targeted each muscle, you know, with like uh, leg extensions, bicep curls, shoulder presses, you know, shoulder press and bench press was probably the most frequent compound movements that I did. You know, I didn't really do lunges all that often, definitely didn't squat or deadlift hardly at all um, because I didn't see the benefit of them at the time. Now, I understand the hormonal response and um, the compound itty of those movements and how they absolutely benefit whatever your goal is. So what I had done was I just stayed in the hypertrophy um, range and I was only doing 8 to 12 reps. I was not doing less than 8 reps. You know, if a weight was too heavy for me, I would lighten it and do more reps to get to that 8 to 12 range. And if it was too light for me, I would increase it to stay under 12 reps. So the problem with this, with with doing this same uh, method of training and, and doing the same reps all the time is the fact that your body is going to adapt. Now, here's a good way to think about how our bodies adapt. When it's winter time, and right now in Pennsylvania, it's winter and it's fucking cold. I think today it was in the teens and the with the wind chill it felt like 6 degrees or something, okay? So it's fucking cold. Um when the temperature goes up to 55 degrees, when you're used to feeling Temperatures in the teens and the 20s. When the temperature then goes up to 55 come spring, it feels warm. It feels really warm. You go outside with a t-shirt on, maybe you even wear shorts. You open the windows to the house, maybe. It feels great outside. The sun is hot. It feels great. That's because our bodies have adapted to the winter. Okay, They've adapted to feeling how cold it is outside. And then look at the summertime. Right In the summer, when it's 80, 90, 100 degrees, it's fucking hot, right? It's hot. You're wearing a tank top. You're wearing shorts. You're going outside barefoot. You're trying to cool off all the time. You're staying out of the sun. And then come fall or the beginning of fall when the temperature drops down to 55 degrees again, let's say, you're fucking cold. And you're putting on a sweatshirt. You might even be wearing a jacket to go outside. And all of a sudden, that same temperature feels totally different based on where we came from okay so we're in summer we're used to the heat 55 feels cold as hell we're in winter we're used to the ice cold freezing temperatures 55 feels hot and nice okay our bodies adapt that's we literally do this every season if you spend time outside every season and you spend time outside your body will adapt and get used to that temperature that it's exposed to. And you can look at your training the same exact way. You spend too much time in one area of training, your body's going to adapt. And then all of a sudden, if you stay in that area, it's going to just be used to that area. If you're used to doing training hypertrophy like I was, and you stay in hypertrophy, your body's used to it. Then all of a sudden, you go to strength, and your body just, boom, responds. Because... You're not used to it. It's something brand new, right? So then you spend time in in strength and you're only training for strength and eventually your body's going to get used to it. Now all of a sudden you go to muscular endurance and you start doing 
15 and 20 rep sets, your body's going to respond 100% because it's something new. It's something that it's not used to seeing. So just the way that our bodies change and adapt to the weather and the temperature outside season over season, our bodies will adapt to our training if we don't change it up. Now, I'm not saying that you need to do a different workout every time you step into the gym. Adaptation will occur between three to six weeks, okay? So, you know, personally, I don't spend more than 12 weeks training in one method. Now, for example, I'm doing, in this program I just wrote myself, the first four weeks is heavy deadlifts at five sets of five. So I'm using 80% of my max. Then the next four weeks are going to be 87% of my max. Then the last four weeks are going to be at like 90% of my max. And I may or may not throw a deload week in between those four-week cycles. But that's just that's going to be dictated based on how I'm feeling. So that's a really long time to be in the strength phase. So when I come out of this, I'm not even going to be thinking about doing strength stuff. I'm going to be spending more time in hypertrophy and or muscular endurance. So when you program for yourself, understand that there does need to be a certain level of consistency in whatever type of training you're doing, but too much consistency will lead to adaptation and you'll plateau. So it's okay to switch things up every three weeks. Personally, I think that's a little soon. But if you find that you adapt very quickly, you may need to change. You may need to do three-week cycles. So the other reasons that you don't want to only train in one zone, strength, hypertrophy, or muscular endurance, is because you you come become prone to injury. So with this adaptation, you kind of you kind of break your body down a little bit, and it can be a little bit easier for you to get hurt, right? Aches and pains set in from too much of the same thing, particularly heavy lifting, right? If you're just stuck in the strength phase and all you're doing is heavy lifting, you can find that maybe you'll have some aches and pains in your joints just because you're just constantly beating it up with this super heavy lifting. Also, your intensity can suffer and you, I mean, potentially could even get bored with your training. And if you get bored with what you're doing, you're going to be less motivated to get to the gym. You're not going to want to do it as much. So keep that in mind that, you know, you may or may not uh, be shooting yourself in the foot by how you're training. So remember this. Now, I got one question for today's episode, and I'm going to try to make this quick because I promised my wife this would be a 30-minute episode, and we're currently at 32 minutes. So I'm going to try to keep this quick, but I want to get into it. So Nicole asks, I'm pregnant with baby number three, postpartum. Where do I go from here, jumping back into fitness and working to lose the baby weight? Well, the first thing that I'm going to say to prelude this question is you have to understand where you were before and during the pregnancy. So if you're going in with very little, if you're starting to exercise post-pregnancy and you have little to no foundation before and during from your exercise before and during the pregnancy... Don't expect much from yourself. Even if you have a good foundation and you were, maybe you were fucking powerlifting through your pregnancy, you need to understand that 
you are not going to be able to do the same things that you were doing prior and during your pregnancy. Your body is fundamentally different. You just gave birth to a human being. So let that set in, which I'm sure it, it has already. But keep that in mind. You are fundamentally different after having a child. Especially if you get a C-section. Because now you got this big-ass scar across your belly. So, anyway. Uh, it usually takes six to eight weeks for the uterus to shrink back to the pre-pregnancy size. So that being said, there's some bloating, there's some um, pressure maybe even in the abdomen area that you might be experiencing. Um, keep in mind, I'm also a dude. Um, I have had two kids so far with my wife, so I have experienced a little bit of this post-pregnancy, postpartum stuff, but I haven't experienced it in my own body. So, um, you know, ultimately, listen to your fucking doctor. But, um, and then, normally it takes one to two months for Lochia to subside. Um, that Lochia, I think I'm saying it right, is just vaginal discharge from, you know, being pregnant and having a baby come out of your nether regions. So, you know, we can be, we can be mature during this part of the episode. Anyway, um, so the first thing I want to talk about is your mentality. Um, you know, simple movements postpartum that do not stress the body and is what you want to focus on doing. Now, simple, like I said before, is in relation to your pre-pregnancy and pregnancy and during pregnancy activity. So if you were doing a lot of exercise pre-pregnancy, you can probably handle a little bit more exercise post-pregnancy than somebody who was not exercising regularly pre and during their pregnancy. Um, you know, and getting time, and not only not only is the exercise good, but getting time away um, for, for mom to get time away from the kids will help tremendously with, with their mentality. Because once you, especially if this is your first child, which I know for Nicole, this is not her first child, this is her third, because it's mine. And once you bring a child into this world, automatically you cannot be the same person that you were before because you have a mouth to feed. You have a responsibility. You have a thing, a human being that needs you to be, that needs to be by your side 24-7. And with that, because they're so young and it's they can't verbalize what they want it's difficult so for you to for you to if you can for you to be able to get away for 30 minutes three times a week just mentally being able to get away will do wonders for you and even if you're just walking or you're doing a stair stepper or something um all right so you you want to start with a blank slate after your pregnancy okay um, you know, your body, like I said, your body is fundamentally different after having a child and you will need to learn your new limits, which are probably lower than you think. Um, you know, there's going to need to be some pelvic floor strengthening. Um, you know, you definitely don't want to be lifting with a belt. If you're lifting a weight that you feel like you need to use a lifting belt to do, you definitely shouldn't be doing that, uh, postpartum. Um, you know, so understand that you're going in with a blank slate and 
if you if you uh, have preconceived notions or you have um, you know uh, memories from when you were during your pregnant, maybe you hit a PR or right before you got pregnant, you hit a good PR. That's out the window now. Okay, so you're, like just erase the whiteboard and start over because you know mentally that's going to help keep you more sane. Um, and I have kind of had to do this with my shoulder injury when it comes to my bench press. My bench, I mean, number one, before my shoulder injury, my bench was pitiful anyway. But um, after developing this tendonitis and um, working through it, now my shoulder's finally getting back to almost 100%. And, you know, I immediately want to go and say, okay, I'm going to bench at the per- at 80% of my best bench ever. But I'm not there right now, and I can't do that right now. So it's better for me, and it will hurt less, you know, mentally if I just say I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start fresh with bench, and just, you know, if if I put up 225 for one, I'm gonna call that my current PR because it's been so long since I've been able to put up, you know, 255. So, um. I know the feeling of that and starting over with a blank slate and just telling yourself, I'm going to start over is much better for your mentality than trying to um, hold on to what you've done in the past. Um, Mobility. Uh, You're going to have stretched tendons and ligaments and from having a kid and this is going to offer new dynamics to regular movements for you. You know, maybe you're more flexible in a certain area. Maybe you're less flexible in a certain area. Um, You know, so kind of view it as you're discovering what your limitations are with everything, including mobility. Um, You know, don't assume you're going to be just as mobile as you were before. Um, You know, and if you were serious about working out, you probably had to change some things about your deadlift stance or your squat stance or or any other exercise you were doing, you probably had to change some things up during your pregnancy, which now you don't necessarily have to do uh, because you don't have as big of a belly maybe. So um, keep that in mind that mobility is is uh, important as well to, 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 to improve overall. Um, and then like I said before, don't compare yourself to your pre-pregnancy self or your performance to your pre-pregnancy performance uh, immediately. You know, you literally brought a child into this life and you need time to bounce back from that because that takes a major toll on the body um rest and recovery are important but movement is also important as well so you know uh make sure you're not just being totally sedentary movement will help you and um you know i'm in particular with uh nicole's first child she um with with our first child Gianna, after giving birth, um, she was pretty mobile and was pretty much able to um, take care of herself uh, very very shortly after giving birth to Gianna. So um, you know, and she had worked she worked out all the way up to the day before giving birth to Gianna. So. Um, you know, that says something about your recovery time afterwards. And I mean, if you're already pregnant and you weren't working out before, it's a little bit too late. But, um, you know, keep that in mind that if you're going into this with, um, you know, 
with a good history of exercise, your recovery may surprise you a little bit uh, after after the baby. So um, anyway, with all that being said, thanks for listening to this episode of Drive with Woody Fit. I'm your host, Nate Woods. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook. That would be facebook.com forward slash executive fit LLC. And if you are so inclined to uh, share the show with a friend or family member and check out the free programs and guides that we have to offer over at executivefitllc.com forward slash guides, which I will be coming out with a few more guides um, in the future. I think the next one that I'm going to be working on is how to grow your bench press. So I'm going to go over all the things you need to do to grow your bench press. So um, anyway, thanks for listening to the show and I'll see you next time.